I'd invite you to turn to chapter 16 of Proverbs. We're going to start there. And uh, just so you guys know, I, um, uh, you know, really, really, really appreciated John um, Whitaker's sermon last week on the power of your words. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, please do. I know that as a, as a man, as a person, as a Christian, as a father, I've failed so many times to uh, speak rightly with my words. And so it was very convicting, but also very helpful to be reminded. And I think this whole series that we're calling Instructions for Life, we need to remember that this is wisdom literature. It's, it's a reminder that we need over and over and over again. It's not like you read the instructions and get the Lego set up once and then you're done, right? I mean, you're constantly going back to uh, these instructions in God's word to help us to grow in wisdom. And that's kind of the idea of, of Proverbs. And so we're gonna start in uh, chapter 16. Um, we're going to talk about planning a little bit today and planning and uh, diligence and laziness and sloth, all those kind of were my topic. And so I've kind of put it into a title called the intentional life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I just have uh, my own story and confession before I read the scripture is that uh, when I was young, I was even worse of a planner than I am now. Okay. And some of you are like, wow, that's really bad. Um, some of you think that I'm really a more strategic, like intense planner, um, because you're even worse than me. Um, but nonetheless, all I'd say is I was reminded of this because in the tension that we have between the ideas, it's, I think it's a false dichotomy between planning and being led by the spirit. And I remember being younger, my proclivities were to procrastinate and also to, um, just kind of uh, not want to plan much and think much and just trust God, so to speak. And I think that I have repented of that in the sense that I was uh, listening to a book called Seven Laws of an, of an Effective uh, Leader or Person. I can't remember. Um, and I remember having just this whole thing where I was like, I'm not going to read that book. That sounds too businessy, too kind of like leadership cult kind of things. And when I was younger, and I really regret not reading that book when I was younger now. Um, and so all I'd say is that this topic is very close to my heart in the sense that I have uh, felt the benefits later on in life of learning some of the lessons from Proverbs and I've repented and turned from some of my folly in this way, I hope, and I'm still learning and growing. So that's where we're at. We're gonna talk about the intentional life. Let's read Proverbs 16, one to nine, and then uh, I'll pray and we'll, we'll go into it. it. Says this, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished, but by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's Ways please the Lord, he even, or makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little, righteous, little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let me pray for us again. God, thank you for this truth in Proverbs. And we pray that you would establish this step this morning as we talk about your word, as we break it down, as we look at it, as we listen Lord, would you empower it to be something helpful that points us to you? Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. So this 
section of Proverbs, chapter 16, if you look at verse 1 and 9, it's kind of a little inclusive, a little paragraph uh, that begins and ends with the whole concept and idea that we're talking about this morning. And that is that uh, really... uh, The plans of the heart belong to man. In other words, uh, God has given you, number one, a a life, if it's going to be intentional, that you actually have to have a plan for. Okay, and and I know, as I said, when I was younger, I didn't have a very good plan, and God was gracious and merciful, but I'll just say that really, Proverbs throughout in the wisdom literature tells us that it's actually your responsibility to have a plan for your life. Um, This is, uh, flies in the face sometimes of our culture, our personal uh, desires, and also flies in the face of the reality that we experience a lot every day, like how many of us are just in the daily grind of life. Right? I mean, every day you're just kind of getting up, making it through, going to work, going to school, you know, living your life at home, taking care of kids, whatever it is, you're just like grinding it out. And the reality is that God is calling us in his uh, wisdom through Proverbs to say, hey, why don't you not just work in your life, but why don't you learn how to work on your life so that you can experience something that's a little bit different? Okay, and so that's his wisdom called to us. And over and over in Proverbs, like for example, Proverbs 4.26, it says, ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Uh, and, and again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Some people here are like, I have a planner. I have all my software. I have everything that I use. I don't really need this message today, but just bear with me, okay? There are some of us here who need to hear this part more. Um, And I know, here's the fact, in this sermon, I know there's people here who uh, don't have a plan. I know there's people who aren't working their plan. And I know there's also people who need to trust God because your plans are going awry. Okay, so we'll get all to uh, to all those places. Um, Here's the reality. For those of us that have struggled with this, I want to give you some hope. Proverbs 25, 2, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. And what the wisdom literature is doing here is trying to make this idea that that the plans of the man belong to him. Okay, so here's the big idea of this first point. It's a paradox. It's a real paradox. What you're seeing here in Proverbs is that 100% of your life depends upon your responsibility to make wise plans and make wise choices. Now that feels a little bit overwhelming, a little bit burdensome possibly, but what you're also seeing is that 100% of your life depends on God to establish all of those plans and to do what he's going to do. We'll get to that at the end. Here's the paradox. I don't fully understand it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We typically feel like, at least I do, either my plans mean everything and they matter so much and I've got to get it right. We feel the pressure or we feel like, hey, God's in control. Don't have to worry. No big deal. I'm carefree. But in the Bible, we are absolutely, totally responsible. Then we will stand before God one day and every choice that we made, every plan that we made, everything that we didn't do, that we should have planned, we will answer to him. And what did you do with this life? And at the same time, God has already planned it all out. Don't ask me to fully understand this. I mean, philosophers have tried this uh, for years upon years upon millennium, and so have theologians coming up with uh, names like compatibilism or whatever else that you want to call it, sovereignty, free will, all this kind of stuff. And all I'm saying to you is that it's 
100, 100, like Jesus' incarnation, fully God, fully man, 100% everything you do matters. And 100%, God's gonna work it out. That's intellectually very hard to put together, at least for some of us. And, and really, what we see is we swing on a pendulum. How many of you have felt that tension and felt that pendulum's like, well, now I'm not doing anything, I'm not actually making this plan, I'm not making choices, I'm not considering my choices. It's very, very difficult. And the Bible says that your choices have connection to your destiny and that God has a destiny for you. The plans are yours. You've got to work them out. There's the incentive. And it's all throughout the Bible. You look in the New Testament and the reality is you see this in the Apostle Paul. When he was on a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, he said, hey, God told him to tell these other sailors that you are going to actually keep your lives if you stay in the boat. And that's exactly what happened. What would have happened if they got out of the boat? I have no idea. But all I know is that Paul didn't freak out. God told him what to do. He told the sailors. And in that responsibility, God worked his plan. So uh, based on that, I hope I've made the point. You are responsible to have a plan. That's the first point. You got to have a plan. All right? Are we clear? Okay. So how do you do that then? How do you make a plan? Well, Proverbs tells us many things. So for example, uh, Proverbs 12, 5, it says, the first thing I'd say is don't plan to do evil things. Um, Proverbs 12, 5 says, the thoughts of the righteous are just and the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs 3.29 says, don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. So here's some Proverbs. First of all, what are your plans right now? What are you meditating in your heart? Is it something that's evil and not right, that is dishonoring to God, that's dishonoring if you're a child to your parents? I guess all the teens have left, but we'll tell them that later. Um, uh, if it is a husband, is it dishonoring to your wife, a wife to your husband? Is it in the community something that brings shame and dishonor? What is your plan? Is it evil? Well, that just marks one thing out. Don't plan that, okay? Um, second thing, uh, Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit your way to the Lord. And, and here's where I want to really encourage us that this is a practice that uh, when I was on my journey from trying to uh, you know, be totally free in the spirit to learning how to plan, um, I discovered the reality of what Noah, our worship pastor, uh, has taught us. And he's teaching us right now by going on sabbatical. He is modeling to us a life that says the first priority is to seek God above all things, to commit our ways to the Lord. And so the question would be like, when's the last time you uh, did a day of fasting and prayer on a Saturday instead of just the normal busyness of life? When's the last time you took some chunks of time once a week to kind of meditate and reflect on what is actually taking place in your life and what you need to commit to God and bring to him in prayer? As you process and think about it, you're also first starting in prayer. I mean, this totally changed my life. Um, still working on it, but I remember one year I went away for a couple days for a fasting and prayer retreat, and God just really dealt with me. Um, this was during my time in England, he dealt with me, but he not only dealt with me, also just like opened the playbook for the year, it felt like, and just said, hey, here's some things as the convergence of your life and ministry and all this is coming together, here's some things I want you to focus on for this year. And that led, that year was the best year of my life, one of them, in regards to things working out. Now, there is a connection there. God, as we commit our ways to him, he establishes those steps. 
So take time for silence, for solitude. That's how you do it. Um, second point, um, continue in planning by getting counsel from other people. This is Proverbs 20, or 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I mean, we all have the proclivity. Like, I know, I know what to do. I've got it. I, I have a plan. But there's all these Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. And then Proverbs 20, 18. Plans are established by counsel, and by wise counsel, wage war. All the veterans are like, yes, let's wage war. Just saying. All the guys, maybe. Not all the guys. Some of us have that soldier illustration from the word and we say, yes, that makes sense. Life is a battle and I want to wage this war wisely and the best way to do that is get with my platoon, so to speak, get with my people and have them give me good counsel. Um, why don't we do this more often? I mean, I, I don't know how well you guys are doing at this, but I've noticed, at least in my life and those around me, that people don't typically ask for counsel and get counsel before all their big decisions. They really do often think they know the way that's right. Um, I think, A, we're individualistic society. I mean, uh, we are taught from the time we were young to kind of pioneer, to go it alone, to figure it out. That's how you're a man or a woman who's fierce and strong, and, and you have to know, and you have to have the plan alone. But I also think that so that's going to be working against us. And so this is so important to me, by the way, that uh, in our church when, we, when I was in England, we actually made it a statement value that we said, we will not make any major life decisions until we take counsel with one another. Now, that didn't mean that I, as one of the pastors, was controlling everyone's decision, because that could be cultic. We don't want that. Um, but what that did mean is that within our house churches, within our communities, we encouraged the DNA and the value of like, hey, if I'm considering moving to this city, I'm going to bring that before it's decided to the community group, and we're going to pray about that together. We're going to get counsel together. If I'm going to consider a relationship, if I'm going to consider that university, if I'm going to consider, you know, if it's the right time for us to have children, etc., all that kind of stuff. Stuff, and I can feel the tension. Some of you are so worried about that because it, does, it can sound creepy in our culture. All I can say is it's, according to Proverbs, a huge blessing to get community counsel. It's the way that many cultures live their lives. Uh, in addition to that, sometimes the reasons we don't ask for counsel is because we're proud. We just don't think that anyone could tell us or we can learn from anyone. Sometimes we don't want to intrude. We're polite. That was a, a big thing in my experience is that people just don't want to intrude. And here's what I'd say. If that's you, please intrude. I feel like the last few weeks I've had multiple times of relationships where I'm saying, please intrude. Please call me. Please tell me the needs. Please let me know what's happening. Please, I want to serve. And I think that's how the body of Christ should operate. We're here for each other. We're here to give counsel and to get the multitude so it's not just me or you or you counseling, but the whole body giving counsel together. I think it's beautiful. And this is why it is so important. In the Proverbs, here and throughout the Bible, God actually commands us to make plans and to do this. 
Think about creation, Genesis. God said, hey, here, Adam and Eve, I put you in this garden, and now I want you to go and multiply, and I want you to build culture, and I want you, I, he gave us a mandate. How are you gonna do that if you don't plan? Cities don't just get built. Churches don't just happen. Plans have to be put in place. Then the New Testament, he recapitulates that, and he says, hey, go into all the world, just like we prayed for our mission teams today. Go into all the world, share the gospel, disciple the nations. How does that happen? I mean, you can just rock up and just show up and be like, hey, I'm here to disciple the nations, you know, but most likely it's gonna take, as we've experienced, just for a short-term team, year of planning just to get these things happening, making sure our partners are, are spiritually ready and we are ready and making sure God is kind of like leading this and guiding this and then all the practical details. It takes a long time, and, and here's the thing. It's exciting when it actually happens. I, I'm so excited to see what happens this next month with all those teams, and it sounds amazing. So all those plans with lots of counsel, with lots of time, with lots of commitment, are coming to fruition. What about you? Anyone excited to plan yet? Come on. No? Come on. You got to be excited to plan now. It's, God's going to do amazing things. Great works are going to happen. So it sounds good anyway to me. Um, but here's the thing. We may not be excited because it may not sound good to you. Why? Well, here's one reason. I'm going to quote another wise man, not Solomon, but uh, a little less, lesser wise person, uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Okay? That's why you may not be excited to plan, because you have experienced over and over again your plans, and then life hits really hard. And the Proverbs doesn't ignore that. It says, if you look back in verse 3 of chapter 16 that we read, it says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established or will succeed. So the writer of this wisdom literature is telling us, Actually, because of the fall of man in the garden, because Adam and Eve strayed from God, it's going to be very difficult to see plans come, to, come into place. And that's why a lot of us don't want to do it. Because it's hard. It's work. And over and over again, you realize that without diligence and faithfulness and just sweat on your brow, nothing good often happens. I mean, again, some people get on YouTube and make millions right away. God bless them. That's not been my life. It's not most of your lives. <clears throat> Maybe ChatGBT will solve all of that for us. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Isn't that a verse for our generation? How many worthless pursuits do we have in our pocket at all times? I mean, it's a tool, it's a blessing, we use it all the time, but we can just take streams and streams and streams of worthless pursuits over and over and over again. Think about the hours and hours wasted, not being productive and working for God's glory, but in worthless pursuits. Okay, that's pretty hard. Um, let me give from Proverbs some comic relief, okay, a little bit. Well, it's comic, it's sad, and it's illustrative. I'm just going to throw a few more Proverbs out there in this topic because 
Like many young men, I had to learn this. I had to grow in this. I'm still growing in this. Here's one, Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And here you're going to meet a character in Proverbs. Like all throughout the Proverbs, you're meeting different characters. And one of them is the sluggard. See that slug right there? I never had really seen many slugs until we moved to England. It's very damp there. And so our back garden, our backyard would just be filled with these slimy creatures, like crawling all around. My son who sat over here when he was a little kid used to just play with them in his hand and then he started putting salt on them. Like, dude, that's not very loving. Don't do that. Um, but anyway, I remember just looking at these sl slugs and just thinking like, man, this is so gross and so disgusting and so slow. So vulnerable, I can just squash them if I want to. I mean, they're just so sluggy. And this is what Proverbs talks about here, that apart from someone having a plan and working the plan, they become this character, this picture of a slug. I'll read you a few more. Uh, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So you're like, man, I want that, I want that, I want that. You don't get it. Maybe you're a slug. The sluggard, Proverbs 24, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Now here's an Idaho verse if I've ever heard one. I talked to a couple yesterday. I was um, having lunch with them. They're one of our community group new leaders. And uh, they're talking about getting their elk Bow, they got their elk tags, they got their bows out. I mean, these are serious hunters. It's not guns, it's bows. And, you know, tell me all the money that goes into the gear. And I mean, this guy even has like a gear channel. He reviews gear. He's just into it. Amazing. And so as I talked to him, as we talked about this, I was just thinking, what would it be like to go through all of that trouble and all of that work and go into the wilderness and finally get the bow pulled back and get the, 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 the elk you know, four point, whatever. I mean, and then you got it and you just leave it there to rot. It's roadkill. That's what the Proverbs is trying to paint. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. I, I wish I had a picture of a sloth too. Those are really interesting animals too. Um, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor and over and over again. Now here's, Another picture, this, it says the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and wears him out to bring it to his mouth. So this guy, he's got cereal and it's like, eh, no, that's all right. I mean, the picture is pretty powerful. And hopefully you're relating to some degree on the opposite side, but if you're like me, we've all been in this place too. So Proverbs 2430, here's another picture of the sluggard. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone was, wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That is my backyard right now, my fence. So I feel pretty convicted in one sense, other than I've just been too busy to get to it. All right, my favorite one, the most comical, Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. This is why you won't get up. This is why you won't get out of your house. This is why you won't get a job. And the Proverbs is like, there's a lion in the streets. I mean, how often does that happen? 
I scoured the internet, I could find like two pictures and one of them was fake. So it doesn't happen very often. And here's the instruction, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go then to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you will, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here is the final assessment. Proverbs 26, 12, and 16. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Do you see that Hebrew building poetry there? You've got the fool, which if you know anything about Proverbs, the fool is not a good look, okay? Really bad. And then it's like, then there's the guy who's wise in his own eyes. It's like more than seven men that can answer sensibly. Like he's even more of a fool. And then it's like bottom of the tier sluggard. More than seven men. So, I don't know where you're at in this continuum. I have been a lazy man in my life and I have been a diligent man in my life at different times in different seasons. And all I can say is, it sounds very negative, but there is hope. Proverbs goes on to say, Proverbs 22, 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He'll stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Here's the great news. You can have a plan and when it gets hard, if you actually will work the plan, God will establish your steps and work in your life and through your life, through the sweat of your brow in a way that will make you happy and flourish and others will be blessed by you and you will stand before kings, either metaphorically or in reality. This happened throughout church history as well. And here's what I wanna say. Do you have a budget? Work it. Do you have exercise equipment? I need to get that and work it. You know, do you have any of these things? Like, don't just have the plan. You've got to work the plan. You, Proverbs is telling us about a life, an intentional life of sanctified stubbornness that says, I am going to keep working at my marriage. I'm going to love my wife even more and more and more when it's hard because marriage is hard work. Proverbs is telling us, I'm going to, patiently bear with my kids. I'm going to instruct them in the way that they should go over and over and over. And I'm not going to give up because they are important. Proverbs says, I'm going to work my field until the fruit of the vine comes because it is how my family will be provided for. I'm not going to give up. And if you look throughout the story of the Bible, Paul, the apostle, if you look throughout uh, the old Testament, if you look throughout church history, people who have been blessed by God, were not work shy. George Mueller, he modeled this so well. I don't know if you've heard about him. We read books about him, his biography. George Mueller, German man in Bristol, England. He pastored the same church. Think about this diligence now, 66 years. When he was 28, he founded a scripture knowledge institute. He founded a home for orphans and a missions institute with five branches. He 
began a school for children and for adults to teach Bible literacy. He did Bible distribution, gave away tens of thousands of Bibles. He gave missionary support. He actually supported Hudson Taylor, if you know who that is, in his inland work to China. He did orphan care and in his life cared for 10,000 orphans. From age 70 to 87, he was involved in global missions work, traveling to 42 countries and preaching an average of once a day in the late 1800s when international travel was not easy. From 87 to 92, he traveled less but continued to preach weekly at his church. That is someone that I look at and I say, that is a diligent, faithful servant of God and a man who gives himself to his work in a way that is beautiful. And there was fruit. But George Mueller himself said this, work with all your might, but trust not the least in your work. What's he saying? Well, he's hitting back a little bit, I would say, preemptively at our culture that says, work is your identity. So please, all that I've said here this morning, I don't want you to hear that you are utilitarian, made by God to be a cog in the machine and just work your butt off until you die. That's not the vision of human flourishing that God gives in his word. But if you are diligent, if you are faithful, the Bible says that God will blow the wind of the spirit behind your efforts and there will be amazing fruit. And God made us before the fall to work. It's not a part of our identity in a negative way, but it is a positive part of our identity that we, your hands were made to do something. Your mind was made to think something. Your mouth was made to say something. Your body was made to go somewhere for your vocation, your gifts, your calling, all of that to God's glory. I hope you find that enjoyment this week when it gets hard and you're in the cubicle, you're at the desk, you're in the field, whatever you do, God is with you, he's for you, he's working through your work. Retell the story as a story of God and you getting to glorify him with it. Finally, um, you can have a plan, you can work your plan, but what do we know? From verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You got to go with God's plan. You got to go with God's plan. As much as I've got into strategic planning and marking out my year and marking out my months and marking out my weeks and, and planning to what books I'm going to read for the year and what courses I'm going to take and all this kind of stuff, as much as I love that, and as much as I experience the hard work that comes with it, I am so thankful for this section. In verses 1 to 11, as nowhere else in Proverbs, God appears nine times. Nine times. Nowhere else in Proverbs is like, God, God, God. This is the good news. Human planning is necessary, but God's providence overrules everything. Many are the plans of a, of, a man, uh, of a man in his mind, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring. Here's the truth. Make a plan, work your plan, but you don't know what's gonna happen. How many of us have been so committed to our plan at times that we actually then feel a fight with God when something changes? I know I have. 
And here's the reality. You can't fight with God. He will have his way. This is what Proverbs 16, 1 to 9 ultimately says is that God is less concerned while he wants you to plan, while he wants you to work. He's less concerned with what you think will happen and rather he wants the type of person you are to become someone that he can bless. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He will take, as many have said, crooked sticks and draw straight lines. I'm so thankful for this. I look back on my life and I think like, man, that is crooked. That was wrong. This was hurtful. They did this. I made a huge mistake there, but God in his grace is saying, if you will just trust in me, then all of your plans will become my plan. Um, I'm going to illustrate this in a fun, loving way with our, uh, one of our pastors, Reggie. Do you guys know Reggie? Uh, he's our middle school pastor, and now he's leading the effort in the revitalization of, of Trinity Fellowship. That's why he's not here on Sundays as much. But he uh, is 48 years old, so we're the same age, and we're both in the month of June. So we like to joke with each other about our gray hairs and our age and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, what, what I, I love about Reggie is he is the quintessential guy who will just go with God's plan. Uh, however, he did come up with a challenge. He's 48, and uh, this last year, he kind of pulled us aside. Some of the pastors said, hey, guys, just want to let you know, to be praying about something. Um, we're pregnant again. And anyone who's 48 just knows, like, that's not your plan. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I was not thinking about starting all over again. <laughs> that, I, it's like, kids, great. You know, they're growing to maturity. You're going to send them off like arrows into the world. Great. And now I got to do it again. <laughs> so... Um, that was, I, I watched him work through it. Of course now he's happy. And this week, I'm going to put a picture up. They, they, uh, his little daughter, Jayla, was born. So you can see, I want to welcome her to our family, um, our church family. There's Lindsay, his wife, and the other kids. And so obviously it was not his plan, but they're all smiling. <laughs> because it's God's plan. And God has the beauty of this life now that when Reggie is 66 and she graduates from high school, <laughs> will be a great time. <laughs> Grandpa Reggie. <Woo. laughs> oh, he gave me permission to talk about this, by the way. So, um, Anyway, so God works in a way that we don't expect. He changes the plan on us. And he does that even with the worst things in life. Look back at verse 4 of chapter 16. It says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. If you're a fan of Shailin, this is where he got his song. Check it out. Anyway, I love Shailin. Um, but this verse is saying that God takes all the evil things, the most wicked things, and he purposes them for good. We're not going to get into debate about the problem of evil this morning. We don't have time. Um, but here's what I'll say. God does not sanction evil. It's not in his moral will at all. But the comfort of knowing that he made everything for a purpose in the midst of evil is so helpful. I, I don't know what I would do without this. You look at the life of Joseph, for example. 
in the Bible. I mean, what happened to him? Have any of you ever been betrayed by your family to such a degree that you were almost murdered and thrown in a pit? I have met people like that. Have any of you ever done everything right in serving in a job and then be accused of rape? Have, ever, have you ever like been in prison and served the other prisoners and even interpreted a dream and then been forgotten by them when an opportunity came to help get you out? I mean, this is Joseph's life. Bad things, wicked things, evil things. But what happened when eventually he saw his brothers again before they all passed away? He said, you intended this for evil. God intended it for good. God intended it for good. Now, I know that's hard. I have been through a couple things that don't compare to a lot of people, but I have been through a couple things where I have had dark thoughts, hard moments, depression, difficulty, loneliness. I have been through those things. And all I'm telling you is, do not saw off the limb that you sit upon in God's sovereignty. Okay, you sit on this tree. It is a large fall to the bottom. And all that's holding you up is the sovereignty of a God who cares for you and loves you and actually has a plan to sow everything up into goodness and glory for him and goodness for you. I know it's hard, but please do not lose hope. Trust God when the wicked things happen and just come to the point where you see he's going to have a plan through all of this. So the big things, the unexpected things, the hard things, the little things. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but as every decision is from the Lord. So you roll the dice, and God's like, that's a six. That's, that's what this is saying, every little detail. I mean, this is comforting in a less uh, helpful way in some ways, but also is comforting. I'll, uh, again, I'll just... Bore you with another story. I was, uh, I'm getting my balcony redone because it got water in there and it rotted all out. And so I've hired these guys to do it because I do not have that skill. Um, and basically, uh, the other day they were kind of finishing up and they had tucked all the like Wi-Fi wires underneath the balcony. And um, I noticed around seven o'clock, I'm like, hey, I don't have Wi-Fi anymore. And so I'm just like, what's going on? And so the next day I find out the guy had kind of taken a nail gun and just shot right through the Wi-Fi wire. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And at first, you know, you feel a little annoyance. Like, hey, man, come on, get the nail right. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I was just like, oh, no big deal. And so I called the internet company. They came out, and eventually they're like, yeah, that, we're not going to be able to salvage that. We're going to have to put a new line in. But because all the work's going on, he's able to take the line and hide it under this gutter. And now, like, my house just looks better. And so all I'll say is like, hey. God allowed that nail to go through that Wi-Fi cable. I'm good with that because now my house looks better. And that's a silly story. We have to be careful with that because then it's like now we're praying for parking places and stuff like that. I mean, that gets a little bit absurd. Um, but all I'm saying is I wasn't praying for the nail to go through there. It just did. And in the end, like something little, it worked out. I felt a little stressed, but God was in charge, took care of it, got the Wi-Fi back, which is a, you know, a staple need in our society now. Um, but it's not just about the little things. I'm going to get ready to move us to the end here by saying this, that all of this in life, all of God's plans are working towards a wonderful, wonderful close. I got to teach on Wednesday night about the millennium, which was a challenge, of course. 
And all I'd say is that the really good news is that God is working everything out to where he gets glorified and his people win and reign and rule with him. We're doing that now to some degree. And all I'd say is, here is a quote here from John Piper. I love this. He says, the providence of God and his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be, is, the, is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. And what's that ultimate goal? Verse six, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The plan of redemption is that Jesus had a plan. The Father, Son, Spirit, they had a plan. Jesus came, he worked that plan. He worked as a carpenter for 30 years, and he just worked it out. He walked in every step of the Father so that he could be the teacher, the healer, the demon caster out, or he, he did all of that so that he could then go to the cross and then he finished the work on the cross with nails in his hand. And he did that for you and he did that for me. His steadfast love, this special word in this chapter is this covenantal love. And so guys, as we get ready to close, we're gonna take communion in and I wanna encourage you. If you're like me and you haven't been good at making plans, you can come into God's image in that way. If you haven't been working your plan, if you have not been diligent, if you've been a sluggard in any way, the mercy of God is Jesus is your example. And more than everything, I want you to hear this morning that God is working his plan and you can trust him. Maybe you are sat here this morning and you have had an interruption, little, big, really difficult. And I just wanna tell you, Jesus is the perfect plan worker and he is in control and you see it on the cross. It says in the Bible that by the, by the hands of sinful men, Jesus was put on the cross to accomplish whatever God had ordained to take place. And that was your salvation. That was my salvation. If God has given you his son, will he not give you everything else that you need? So as we take communion, we're gonna get it in our hands. We'll come back up, we'll pray for it. But as you meditate, meditate on that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning, the gracious privilege of being with brothers and sisters and walking through your word. Lord, I see my own folly so much when I look at Proverbs. And then I thank you for the wisdom that you've allowed me to at times to walk in. And more than anything, Lord Jesus, I see you pictured here. Thank you for ultimately sovereignly ruling and reigning. Help us to walk into that more and more in our lives to see whatever you want accomplished for your glory. In Jesus, your name, amen.